Brethren and sisters, we could never emphasize enough that the subject of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the great foundational doctrines of the word of God. In the study of theology, it's called ecclesiology, the study of the church. There are many manuals that I could refer you to for further study and meditation, but I always think it's safe to stick with what I know, and I'll refer you to our own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, chapter 25, and it commences with a lovely broad definition of what the church is. And we learn in its broadest definition the church is Catholic. And that just simply means it's universal. And it consists of all of God's elect. From all of the ages past, present and to come. That he has chosen out of lost humanity to be saved. It includes all who have been saved and all who will be saved and gathered into that one body under Christ. As we look at the Bible teaching, I just want to emphasize a few uh, facts today before we go further on into the weeks that lie ahead. The Bible teaches there always has been a church. The message of the Bible is all about the church. And it's about God's relationship with the church. And one is only to be a member of a local assembly or fellowship of Christian people to realize Still today, in the secular, ungodly age that we live in, we still have the church. The church is still living today, it's still functioning today, it's still witnessing today. And in Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that was spent a lot of time in here in the past year, the apostle contemplates the day in which Christ will present that church, a glorious body, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So God hasn't finished with his church. And that's good to know. Men have finished with it, but God hasn't finished with it. And it's because this universalist Catholic aspect of the church cannot be witnessed at one and the same time that the reformers spoke about the church as being the invisible and in the visible body of Christ. We cannot see the whole church in its depth and its breadth across the continents or across the ages. There is an aspect of the church that's not visible to us from any one vantage point in time or in space. So the invisible church has a visible dimension, of course, in the life and witness and testimony of particular congregations and local gatherings. You, Lloyd-Jones, the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and his great doctrines of the Bible. I'm not saying Lloyd-Jones always got it right, but he nearly did. He, he was a tremendous man. And he gave the analogy of the soul. You cannot see a soul, but the reality of it is expressed through the life and behavior of the individual. You cannot be a Christian without being a member of the church, which is spiritual and invisible in its broadest aspect. That's an impossibility. All Christians are members of the invisible body of Christ. But you can be a member of the church without being a member of the visible part of the church, even though the scriptures command that you ought to be. And it's sadly possible also on the other side of that, you can be a member of the visible body and yet truly not be a member of the invisible body. 
The, the Greek word which is translated church, it means those who are called out. Ecclesia. Those who have been called out for a particular purpose. And you and I, by God's grace, we've been called out of the world for a particular purpose. And the meaning of that word is an assembly. We, we, we are in an assembly of people who have been called out of the great uh, mass of lost humanity for a particular purpose. Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's great defense, he refers to Moses as being in the church in the wilderness. Now, of course, there are some Christians today, and they reject the idea that there was a church in the Old Testament, and it only started at Pentecost. But that is not, of course, what we believe, and I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. In verse 38, the children of Israel were a church. They were a gathering. They were an assembling of God's people. Our English word for church, it comes from a derivation of the Greek word kurios, meaning Lord. Uh, and so the church consists of people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's common therefore to say that an assembly of Christians, they are the church. They go to church or they meet in the church. So we're not talking different terms. We're just using different aspects of the one uh, meaning of the word. Where do we first see this gathering? Well, I believe we first see this gathering away back in Genesis 6 and verse 40. Sorry, Genesis 4 verse 26. Where the descendants of Seth gathered together. And they called upon the name of the Lord. That was a wonderful thing. Those early uh, patriarchal families. They gathered together and they called upon the name of the Lord. If you'd been looking for the church in those early days, the visible manifestation of it would have been seen in the families of the patriarchs. The church was in the families. And then it, was, it grew and developed into the 12 tribes of Israel. It was the church under the law, extending and enduring to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then under the gospel, its borders has extended to the uttermost parts of the earth as the redeemed of the Lord have been gathered in from every, every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. True biblical Christianity, I want to say to you again, is more than just a, a, a profession, a personal profession of faith. That's what people say today. That's the argument of, of many Christians today, or those who say they're Christians. Well, my, my religion is just my personal faith with God. But it's more than that. It's being part of Christ's visible church. It's uniting with others of like precious faith. It's receiving God's ordained means of grace. It's living under the care of Christ's under shepherds. It's having accountability and being and having responsibility. So throughout the Bible, as I said in the introduction, there are many metaphors to describe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul likens the church in its operation to the human body. His whole chapter commences with Paul's teaching on the proper use of the gifts. Of course at Corinth there was a great debate how these gifts were to be used and sadly how they were misused. The gifts were never, either in apostolic days or in our own day, they were never given for the exaltation of self. You hear people say, that's a great gifted man. Or that's a great gifted woman. 
And everybody looks at them and they say, Oh, is not man great? Is not woman great? But the gifts were given not to exalt self, but the gifts were given for the edification of the body. Forget the individual. It is the body that is all important. The body being a wonderful word, a wonderful picture, metaphor for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives to individuals gifts, special graces, special talents, so that the body might benefit and that the body collectively might be edified. And I want every true believer to know how this spiritual body functions. There, there are believers today, and I, we're all guilty of it, of course. <clears throat> Something goes wrong with our own physical body. We're, we're investigating it. We're trying to do a Google search on it and see what's missing, what's there. What, you know, a lot of it, we're getting wrong information. And I think many Christians have wrong information about how this mystical, spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ works. It has to work individually. And if you know how it works individually, then you will be able to work out how it works collectively. Because the body is not just about an individual. The body is about the corporate witness of the assembling together of the saints, of the gathering together of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope from today and in the weeks ahead we'll learn a lot more about how the church works from the metaphors that are given and especially this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today, this wonderful metaphor of the church as the body. So firstly notice with me, this body as the church is under divine authority, it's got a head. The head controls the body and the church always must be viewed in its relationship to its head. And throughout the Pauline epistles, this is emphasized time and time again. God's people are gathered under Christ. Christ who is the head of the body, to use the physical imagery once again. We read in Ephesians 1.22, the counterpart of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God hath put all things under his feet, that is Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, and then it says, which is his body. Christ is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. Or we can use the relationship image that is presented in Ephesians chapter 5 when Christ is described as the head of the spouse, as the husband is the head of the spouse. So Christ is the head of the body. Ephesians 5.23 For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. What a statement. That Christ is not just the saviour of the body, he is the head of it. There are many people today that want to take Christ for, for salvation. They want to be saved by Christ, but they don't want to live under the lordship of Christ. They don't want to say that he is their head. He, they are under his authority. So in a special way then, Christ is the head over his church. All rule in the church is under his leadership. If I cannot prove to you, if the session cannot prove to you from the word of God, we, we, we're doing what we're doing because the Bible says this is the way we ought to do it, then we're doing it wrong. 
And you have a right to come and say, Reverend Harris, session members and on along, I believe we're doing it wrong. If it's not in this book, we ought not to be doing it. This is what authority is. This is what it is to be under the authority of Christ. Every office has been designed by him. Ephesians chapter 4, 8 to 12. Christ rules his church. He rules it. He's the king. He rules it. And how does he rule it? By his word and by his spirit. In our own book of church order, it says, As king, he has given us the necessary oracles, ordinances, and officers for the welfare, worship, and witness of the church. I think that's very nicely put. He has given the oracles, the word. He has given the ordinances, the preaching of the word, prayer, uh, the Lord's table, baptism, all those things that we try to emphasize from this pulpit week by week, time on time. And he has given the officers, the elders, the, the deacons, uh, for the welfare of the church, for the worship of the church, for the witness of the church. That's what our business is. That's, that's what we're about. Every believer is subject to him. Every believer, not just the elders, not just the minister. Every believer is under the headship of Christ. Too often, you know, we sing those choruses and we haven't a clue what we mean when we sing them. He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, he is Lord. And then sometimes it goes on, he's my Lord. Well, if he is your Lord and if he is your Savior, then you're under his headship. You're under his authority. The church is not a ministerial hierarchy. It is Christ's body. We're under him. He's the head. I want you to get that today. And when the church holds to Christ as its head, it can look to Christ for all the blessings of grace that the head pours out upon the body. Secondly, notice with me, the body is marked out by diversity. We've looked at this over the past few weeks from different chapters in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for example, just a few weeks ago. But here in chapter 12, we see the, the body is marked out by a diversity of gifts. Verse 8. Verse 8 to 11. And it talks here, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, right down to verse 11. Now some of these, I believe, were temporary sign gifts. They were given to authenticate the message of the early apostles and the messengers of the church. They didn't have the Bible. They couldn't come with that authority and say, thus saith the Lord, the New Testament was not written, was not completed. And so God gave these temporary sign gifts to the apostles and to the messengers. But others were permanent because they were given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the whole body of Christ. And there's a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of personalities. Verse 12 to verse 14. It always encourages my heart to know that God ministers his grace through our personalities. And we all have very different personalities. And over the years, I have learned that God's people have a very wide variety of personalities. The outward, loud personality. The shy, retiring personality. 
the optimistic and the pessimistic personalities, the modest self-effacing, the brash even boastful, they're all found within the body of Christ. They're all there. You read through the New Testament, you'll find all those different characters that came into membership in the church. You had fishermen from Galilee. The intelligentsia of the day looked upon them and they said they're unlearned and ignorant men. What would fishermen from Galilee know about philosophy? What would they know about the great learning of, the, of, the, of, of Grecian literature, of Roman literature? They're just fishermen. And with Peter, with James, with John. And they're all so diverse in their personalities. And then with government officials. There were government officials who were part of the church of that day. We read of that day when Jesus stopped with Matthew. Tax collector for the occupying Roman authorities. And he said to him, follow me. With doctors, with medical people in it. We had Luke, a great companion of the Savior. With soldiers in it, Roman soldiers in it. What an idea that these occupying Roman officers were part of the body. We had the Roman centurion that the Lord Jesus said concerning of he had not found so great a faith in all of Israel. All of the Jews, all of those religious Jewish leaders that uh, were, were, were so prominent. He put them into to their place. He said this Roman centurion has more grace than you saw put together. We think of that. Roman soldier who was converted at the cross. We think of the jailer who was converted in the, at the darkest hour of midnight. And they're all part of the body. We think of business people. Business people were there. We had Lydia, she's a seller of purple. Here was a woman who knew how to make money and how to do commerce. We had uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers. They were there in the market. They knew their job. They knew how to trade. They were manufacturers. On the other hand, with slaves there. How many of the New Testament church, their names are not even recorded, they're of such lowly descent. We think of Onesimus, ran away from his master. Paul met him in Rome and brought him to the Savior. I'm glad, I'm glad as I go through the New Testament, I see the grandparents are there. I read of Lois, but I'm sure there was a granddad somewhere in there as well. I think of mothers who were there. I think of fathers, Eunice, and all of those wonderful people. The list is endless, but what's it stamped with? It's stamped with diversity. Diversity. And I'm glad that God takes people with all different types of personalities and different quirks and, and different needs and, and different aspects, and he puts them all together and he makes them into the body. He makes them into one a work for God. Uh, I know that none of us do it perfectly. There's no church perfect. I'm a long church. is far from perfect. It couldn't be anything else with this man in the pulpit. It can't be perfect. None of us do it perfectly. The, 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 the confession reminds us that the purest churches under heaven are subject both to a... Mixture and error. Not a startling statement. It has to be of even our own free Presbyterian church. We're a mixture. We're a mixture. And there's error in the mixture. Why? Just because we're fallen people. We're fallen people. And yet we're a body. 
Parts of the body need more attention than other parts, but we're part of the body. Never, never think because somebody is different to you and they look at things different to you and they have a different personality to you, they have a different outlook to you, they may be dressed differently to you, they may be talked differently to you, maybe they're a different colour to you, all of those things that you're any better than them. It can never be like that. Thirdly, the body is characterized, if we follow on from this, by unity. 1 Corinthians 12 and 12. Paul taught there were many members, but there was only one body. What was he doing? He was emphasizing the unity. And within the local church, we have to be mature enough to accept our differences and unite around one common cause of Christ and his gospel because the devil delights in every available opportunity to divide and thus destroy a local witness. If you want everybody in the church to be like you, you'll destroy the church. That's a startling statement, isn't it? You'll destroy it. Each part is interconnected. Verse 19 to 22. The apostle shows how interdependent we are as believers. He, he contemplates the absurdity of the situation. If the eye suddenly said to the hand, I don't need you anymore. Or if the head said to the feet, I don't want you anymore. We're designed as one whole to work as a whole. And one part cannot function well if the other part is sick or ill or, 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 or needs treatment. And I just want to say to all of you today, never think for one moment that your contribution will never be missed. Sometimes people think that. Oh, I just go on Sunday. I can't do very much. I've heard older people say it many times over the years, or even younger people, and they feel maybe they've got very little to contribute or, or to give, and, and they feel overawed, overpowered by other people. Let me tell you, your part is important. Vitally important. Verse 13 teaches about the spiritual unity within the body. I want to emphasize this. It says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The apostle is not referring here to water baptism. I remember talking to a Baptist man many years ago about this verse. And he was very adamant that this is water. And I said to him, well if you can see water here, I can't see water. This is spiritual unity. It is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is regeneration. That takes the sinner who's out of the Lord. And by the washing as Titus said. In Titus 3 and 5. By the washing of regeneration. Puts that individual into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual regeneration. Is your only way to enter the true believing body of Christ. I want to ask all of you today. Do you have that experience? It's not that you were baptized as an adult or as a child. But do you know the washing with regeneration by the Spirit of God in your heart and life? Have you known God's dealings by a spirit within your soul, creating within you that new nature, new desires after God, new desires after the things of God, the things that you once loved are now the things that you hate, and the things that you once hated are now the things that you love? 
what a transformation grace works in hearts and lives. I want you to notice, fourthly, each one in the body is under God's sovereignty. Verse 13, it's by the electing sovereign working of the Spirit of God that each one of us were regenerated and made part of the invisible body of Christ. And we do well to remember, we can't control the working of the Holy Ghost. Can't be done. If it's God's sovereign good pleasure to elect some and to leave others, we have to leave it with the Lord from start to finish salvation. It's all of God. Well, I would say to you today, if you're here unconverted, do not presume you'll be here next week. Do not presume that you'll get another day. Do not presume that you'll get another hour. I would urge you to cast your all upon God's mercy now. Where you are in the pew. It's the sovereign good pleasure of God not only to bestow salvation but to bestow gifts on the church. The origin of every gift and grace is due to the benevolence of the Holy Spirit. No one else. I love those verses that we find in Zechariah 4 and 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's a sovereign spirit alone who can empower and bless the church. And if it is a sovereign spirit who alone can bless and empower the church, our petitions ought to go to him. It's the sovereignty of the Spirit of God who places each member just in the right place in the body where they ought to be. That always amazes me. Verse 18, it tells us there, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Each believer occupies their place in the body, their position in the body, which has been assigned to them by a sovereign God. Everyone is in their proper place. We're not placed here for our own good. We're, here, we're placed here for the good of the body. We're here for the good of the, the whole. It's clearly unbiblical, I believe, for members to try and arrange their place in the body to fit their own comfort and to fit their own benefit. I hope that is not your uh, rationale. We have to submit to where God would have us to serve him. If God would have you to serve him and on alone, serve him. Serve him. That's your place, that's your part of the body. If you do not believe God would have you to serve him and on alone, you need to get on your face before God and to know the mind and the will of God and serve him in whatever place, in whatever capacity, in whatever area he wants you to be in. I believe it's only a sovereign God and his providence can move believers from their position. Everywhere I've been in the work of God, I've never looked to get out of it. I can say that honestly before the Lord. I've never looked to get out of it, but it was God somewhere or another took me out of it. Don't move until God moves you. When God moves you, that's the time to move. Fifthly, the body is designed for empathy. Verse 25, 26. God so designed the body. Uh, this 
text tells us that there should be no schism. The word schism is division. And when this is spoken of in relationship to an organized body, it includes the idea of not just being physically divided uh, from people, but being divided by alienation of spirit. Being emotionally divided from people, being even spiritually divided from people. And, and such was the schism at Corinth. And we have looked at that over the past few months, but I'll not go back to it in chapter 1. You remember, some said, I'm, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Cephas. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Even some said, I'm of Christ. There, there's party spirits. If we're empathetic and understanding of each other's then there's never any room for party spirits. One brother or sister can't be alienated against the other. The Bible teaches us that we ought to care one for another. Empathy, empathy, sympathy. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. What is that? You're to kill one another? No. But you're to love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Brethren and sisters, let me say this to you. It is pointless for us trying to reach out into a lost world if we can't reach out to the person who's sitting beside us on the pew or in front of us or behind us. There's a lot of practical uh, follow-on from this. It does mean if you're Showing empathy, it does mean taking time to go to visit, to go to visit someone that hasn't been out, to phone them, to text them, to make contact with them, to, to make contact with the lonely. It does mean the effort, even in church, you know, reaching out overall of your own, maybe lack of self-confidence, maybe shyness, maybe retiredness, whatever the, the situation is. Just to say hello to someone. And you'll never, you'll never guess just how important maybe that just hello is. Maybe just that physical touch is. Maybe just that handshake is. When someone's battling up the hill of difficulty and somebody shakes their hand and says, How are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Verse 23, 24. It means giving honor and attention to the part which is the, to, to the, part which is the weakest. That's amazing. Often do we give prominence to the parts just that you can see. That's why people spend so much time in front of the mirror. Because those are just the parts they can see. But so much you can't see in on alone. And there's so much going on that is not visible. And Paul taught that in the body of Christ we have to treat the parts <clears throat> that seem less honourable Give them the greatest honour. I was thinking of this. How, how can we work that out? <clears throat> Giving honour simply means putting value on something. It means esteeming it. It means giving it the dignity it deserves. It means treating it as being precious. What, now what has God given us that we can put value on, esteem it and, and put dignity on it? <clears throat> well let's put a high value on the ordinance that God has given to us. Don't take for granted the ordinances of the gospel. Put a high value on them. God has given us an on along, a door, a place, a wonderful building, facilities that are second to none. Do not take them for granted. 
Treat them as being precious gifts from God. The Jews of congregation can still meet together to hear the Bible preached every Sunday. Whoever comes to this pulpit, they'll preach the word every Sunday. That's such a blessing that is from the Lord. Treat it as it ought to be treated. That's put a high value on those who labor out of sight. There are many, many things going on in this congregation and nobody sees them. But if they weren't done, everybody would know about them. Let's make sure we put a high value on the young. I believe we do. And a lot of what we have done in and along is for the young. And we're investing in the young for the days that lie ahead. But let it always be a church that, that prioritizes the children, prioritizes young families. But let us not forget we have older members as well. And so the church is not all about the young. The church is about the older members as well. There are many evangelical churches today and they have this mentality that they have to do all of this stuff to get the young people in. You know, when people start to talk about that, we've got to do stuff to get the young people in. It really means they've got, they want to bring the world in thinking that this will bring the young people in. Well, it'll bring them in for a while. And then the same people who come in for that novelty, they'll want a different novelty and they'll want something else to attract them in. And thus the, the, the demands grow bigger and larger all the time. I have always been of the opinion, brethren and sisters, and I'm here 18 years, that there's nothing wrong just with the ordinary means of grace. Nothing whatsoever. Let the church be a place where all are honoured, esteemed for their labours in the Lord. A final thought, I could say a lot more, but a final thought in verse 27. The body requires loyalty. Loyalty. In, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, you're not only members of the body, that's the universal church, but members in particular, that's the local church at Corinth, <coughs> be loyal to it. The mystical body of Christ right across the world <coughs> is made up of local congregations. And this local congregation is just part of that mystical body. And in being loyal to what you see, what is local, the local congregation, you're being loyal to the body, the invisible body, the body of Christ. And there's a unique bond. And there's a commitment and there's a loyalty. And there's ties that bind us together. Uh, not just the common things that we believe, the things that are commonly believed amongst us, but that which we hold dear and esteem highly in the Lord. Uh, and there's so many things that bind us together in Christ. But every privilege brings with it responsibility. You're responsible for looking after your body. Uh, and you're accountable for looking after your body. And being part of the local body, you're responsible and accountable for looking after the local body. The local witness of Christ. So let's learn from the biblical imagery of today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's so much more we could go into here. But let me ask you in closing. In the light 
of this wonderful imagery here, this wonderful picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the body is compared to the church in this metaphorical language. Where's your allegiance today? Where is your allegiance? You know, here in Morn, we often talk about loyalism. I don't know any longer what people are loyal to. I have sort of lost that concept. If you ask me to define what a loyalist is, I would struggle. I really would struggle to define what it is. But my job is to emphasize to you as a believer, where's your allegiance to Christ and loyalty to the work on the money Dyer road? That's the key question. Are you living your Christian life under his divine authority? It's not what Ian Harris says. It's what God's word says. It's not what this session wants you to do. It's what Christ, the great king and head of the church, says we ought to do. How and where, even in the past week, even in the past month, have you showed empathy and sympathy with believers? Sad even to hear of local believers who are not speaking. When in the past month have you opened your home, your heart, your soul to others along the pilgrimage? You know, I, I from, from I've an infant ministry, I've, I've emphasized in every place I've been in the responsibility of the church and the great commission to reach out. But it's easier to reach out to Lahore than it is to somebody local that you've fallen out with. Where's the empathy? You know, these are all heart-searching matters that we need to pray about. We can't sidestep them and ignore them. And I pray that God and grace will make us all worthy members of that body of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never be perfect. And as we said just a minute or two ago, there's always a mixture of error <clears throat> and it will never be perfect until Christ presents it and he takes away all the spots and he takes away all the wrinkles on that great and glorious day. But let us strive by all the might we have and the grace that God gives to us to make the body healthy, happy and functioning well. <clears throat>